Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Hey, my friends, welcome into Leaning into Leadership. This is episode number 68. You know, if you sit down and have a conversation with an educator, whether they're early career, mid-career, or even late career, and ask them, what is your favorite part of the job? It is highly unlikely that you're going to hear them say, man, I love communicating with parents. But it is a necessary part of the job. Whether you're a classroom teacher or an administrator, you have to be able to communicate with parents. But it's not something we're really well-groomed to do. In most cases, we learn how to do that through trial and error. Enter today's guest. Crystal Frommert is the expert in this particular field. Crystal, in fact, wrote the book, When Calling Parents Isn't Your Calling, A Teacher's Guide to Communicating with Parents. Crystal is a rock star educator. She's got over 20 years of experience in education, primarily at the middle school level, which is absolutely magical. She's taught public, parochial, and international schools. She's taught math, computer science, and social justice. She's done all kinds of things, including being the assistant head of middle school at her international school. Crystal and I had an awesome conversation. I'm excited to share it with you, and you're going to hear it all right on the other side of this message from your sponsor today, which is Road to Awesome. Leaders, your educators deserve to have a leader who believes in them, who supports them, and who lifts them up when they're down. Right now, they deserve that reminder that they are traveling their own road to awesome. On that road to awesome, we focus on the things we can control and we let go of the things we can't. On that road to awesome, we rise by lifting others, not by pushing each other down. And on that road to awesome, we change the world one conversation at a time. Leaders, I want to work with your schools. I want to work with you and your educators to lift them up, to honor the work they do, and to let them know they are not in this alone. Let's get together. Let's have a conversation. Let's get your teachers back on that road to awesome, to find that love, to find that clarity, and to walk in their purpose. Reach out to us at roadtoawesome.net for your opportunity to bring Road to Awesome to your school. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. All right, Crystal Frommer, welcome to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here talking with you today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it too. So just really quick, Crystal, let let everybody know a little something about you and then let's just dive into this conversation. I've been looking forward to it. All right. Um, I am a math teacher. Uh, Most of my career, I've been a middle school math teacher. It's almost like the universe just keeps pulling me towards eighth grade math. And so I've spent most of my years teaching eighth grade math. I've also served as an administrator, mostly in middle school level. I'm currently an eighth grade coordinator. 
which means I do pretty much anything they ask me to do that involves the eighth grade. Um, I teach at international school in Houston, Texas, and I think I'm in my 22nd, 23rd year of education. Um, I love what I do. I love where I am because I'm at a school that gives teachers a lot of autonomy. We have wonderful kids um, who come from all over the world. Um, and I'm in a really good spot um, where I am today. But I've taught in Catholic schools. I've taught in uh, other private schools that were not religious and secular schools. I've taught in uh, Barcelona, Spain. So I've taught abroad. I've taught in public school. So I have a wide variety of different types of schools, but most of my experience is international school. I love that. And so uh, you may not know this about me, but my first year as a teacher, so I, I taught five years of middle school. Uh, I was a high school or middle school and high school science teacher. But okay. when I was hired for my first teaching job, they actually told me they were hiring me to teach seventh grade life science, which I'm much more life science than I am. Um, on the, uh, you know, on the physical science side. Well, I get there and it's, no, you're going to teach eighth grade physical science, which I'm like, okay, that's cool. And you're going to teach one section of eighth grade math. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> I am not the guy who should be teaching math. And uh, yeah, so I taught eighth grade math uh, for one year. And interestingly, in the state of Arizona, you had to take this math proficiency exam. There was a math proficiency exam, like a, a reading and writing proficiency exam, and then they had like a state constitution test. And seriously, the test, the Arizona proficiency exam was the eighth grade math curriculum. I, I think I got a 98 on, on the test and I'm like, there's no way I missed anything. There's no way, um, wow. you know, but, uh, but, but thank God I taught that one year of eighth grade math. Cause I don't know if I would have passed that test. <laughs> I really don't know. But, uh, so, so no, I don't have 20 some odd years teaching eighth grade math, but I did do it for one year, one section and, uh, really actually had a really good time with it. Um, uh, tell me what, what's like your favorite part of, of teaching eighth graders? Um, eighth graders are so unique. They are, they are these <laughs> children in almost adult sized bodies um, who love getting stickers on their tests. They love getting cupcakes on their birthday. Uh, they love singing songs in class, but they are too cool to ever tell you that they love those things. Um, so it's a very interesting phase in life uh, to be in middle school and eighth graders they are hilarious. Uh, they are learning a sense of humor that is is going from the children type, you know, sense of humor from knock knock jokes into a sense of humor that's a little more adult. It's just a great transitional time. Uh, one of my students years ago said, "Mrs. Frommert, I feel really bad for you because you've been in like eighth grade for like twenty years," and <laughs> and <laughs> I and I am I'm stuck. I'm like perpetually stuck in eighth grade. And, um, but I like it and I, I get this age group. Um, they are quirky and bizarre, but I get them and I get what they're going through. Um, my own child actually just finished middle school last year. Um, and that was a very different experience for me being a mom of an eighth grader last year, because it's, it's completely different than being a teacher of an eighth of, of, you know, 60 oh, eighth yeah. graders. Um, so it's, it's a great grade. Um, one year I actually taught sixth grade and eighth grade the same year. So like my morning classes would be sixth grade and my afternoon classes would be eighth grade. And I almost would get vertigo, you know, like doing the switch, like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, they're completely yeah, no different. 
uh, different humans. And I loved that year because it's almost like I had two different jobs. Um, com- I was completely different oh, with yeah. my sixth graders, more of a mother hen, you know, uh, guiding them into middle school, teaching them study skills. And with eighth graders, I can be a little bit more, you know, in a nice way, sarcastic and fun with them. And um, it's just completely different dynamic. But I love both. I love sixth grade and seventh grade and eighth grade. So was your child at your school last year? And if so, in your classroom? She was not. I've never had her in my classroom. We're a big enough school that we have uh, different teachers uh, teaching the same subject. So um, so I never had to have her in my class. But I did, you know, I will mention it here. You know, I wrote a book and I mentioned in my book uh, about a student who because we had just a handful of Arabic teachers at our school. We don't have as many Arabic teachers as we do math teachers. And so one of my former students had his dad as his Arabic teacher for three years in a row and also had his mother as life science teacher as well because he only had one life science teacher that year. And I thought, oh, gosh, that guy has got to have both of his parents at school, especially one of them for three years. So I mentioned that in the book, too, that, no, that was never my daughter's situation, though, luckily for her. Man, and especially at the middle school level. I mean, I, I was my daughter's high school principal, but you know, I can't imagine, you know, at the middle school level because, like, like you said, I mean, there are just there's so many things going on in the life of a middle schooler. You know, all the changes that they're going through, and you know, just yeah, to have both of your parents there. Oh my goodness, I can't even imagine that. So, yeah, so. <laughs> So let's 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 actually get into some of the things that you and I uh, had talked about before we jumped on the show, and and that's really, I mean, you alluded to your book, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in a few minutes. But um, your wheelhouse really is on supporting um, all educators with how you communicate well with parents. Now, I don't think there's an educator out there who just would jump to the front of the line and go, "Oh yeah, I'm awesome at communicating with parents," because let's face it. That's a challenging thing to do. Um, parents come from, you know, they come at us from all different all different angles right. and all different backgrounds mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So um, let, let's just start with, you know, what compels you to want to help people be better at communicating with parents? You know, I, I really love that question because it's not my favorite thing to do either, you know, and I'm not uh, brilliant at it or wonderful at it. Um, I struggle as well. But over the couple of decades of teaching, I've gotten so much better at it. And so that's why I decided to write about it, because it is a, a, I started off in a place of being scared. Frankly, I was scared of parents. I started off as a very young teacher uh, with my own classroom. I was teaching fifth grade. And if a parent said something to me that I thought was negative or, or critical in any way, I would get so anxious and get upset and just be very scared to talk to them. And um, why, so why did I decide to write about this? So in the, when the pandemic started, I started writing for Edutopia, the online uh, educational magazine. And my very first article that they accepted was parent relationships, because I knew a lot about how to get better at that because I had been so terrible at it. (laughs) And again, not that I am uh, perfect or an expert in any way, um, but I've grown a lot. And one of the things I wrote about in that article was communicating positive uh, notes to parents. And that was so important, especially as the pandemic started. I mean, it's always been important, but I wrote about it in 2020 because I wasn't seeing my kids every day. I was seeing them on Zoom or on Google Meet, and the parents and the kids just seemed so distant from me. 
And I found myself communicating with parents more often during this remote learning time because, you know, the, the children are up in their bedrooms or, you know, in the house dining room or something, Zooming in my class. Um, and I felt like I wanted to draw that connection a little bit closer, uh, especially if a kid seemed a little off that day or if they didn't show up, if they were late to class, our Zoom classes. And, and that's when the parent communication really exploded, I think, for me, and I, I became much better at it. And I wrote that article, and I'm so blessed and so grateful that you and I connected. I, I thank social media for that. And you and I connected and talked about an idea for a book. And that article really blossomed into a book that I know will be so helpful for teachers, um, especially teachers who are starting off or teachers who this is still a struggle for them. This is something that they're hesitant to do to talk to parents. So I know that this book will be very, very helpful for so many educators. You know, I, I, I think back on early in my career in particular, you know, like parent-teacher conferences. You know, I mean, that's, you know, that's like when, when you're really on the stage, right? And, you know, that first couple of times when parents would show up, you know, in scheduled blocks of time and, and that kind of thing. I think the junior high, so that my first five years was junior high. And I, I think um, we actually had it scheduled like in our classrooms. And so, you know, much like an elementary type of time schedule for conferences, you know, we knew this parent would come at this time and this one at this time. And, and we were we were in teams. So there was a, you know, math, science, social studies and language arts teacher that were all part of our team. So we got to meet with them as a team. So for me, I think I had a, a little bit of support because mm -hmm. I was, I mean, I was the new kid and everybody else on my team had several years of experience um, with, with that first time with parents. But that didn't mean that I wasn't like super nervous. So, you know, at, at the time of this recording and probably even when, when this will, when this will drop, we'll be, we'll be kind of in the tail part of this particular school year. But as, as an early career teacher or early career leader. We, we can go two different directions with this. Right. What are a couple of pieces of advice you would share with people who are a little nervous or a little reluctant when it comes to communicating with parents, whether that's at conferences or, or any other time? My, my, my biggest piece of advice, and it has served me so well as a teacher and as an administrator, because I served as an administrator in middle school for a short time. And I would say that that would be to make your First communication, a positive one. You need to reach out early. Um, I worked with a really wise principal um, when I first started off. I was teaching in public school, and this guy was amazing. And his very, uh, his biggest piece of advice for us as a faculty, we had a huge faculty too. We had 1,900 kids in the school. I mean, it was a huge school. And his advice to us was reach out the first week of school. Uh, this was when email was just starting, if you can imagine. Uh, so I actually did have some email addresses for some parents and then the other ones I would call. But I would reach out, especially to the kids who I had some sort of hint that maybe I'd have to call their parents for something that wasn't so positive. So if I could tell that a kid was being a little squirrely and I might have to call mom and dad um, later on, I would make sure that, that that kid got a positive phone call pretty early um, because I want the parents to know that I see their child for who they are. And I'm not seeing them for, you know, being squirrely or you threw an eraser in my class or you were late too many times or whatever, you know, kids do, the normal things that kids do. I wanted them to know that, you know what, I see Max as a funny, 
witty, um, kind kid in my class. I see Soraya as a, a girl who's very dedicated in my class and loves learning math. I want them to know that I see that really early on. And you can, you know, teachers see that in their kids within a few days. You can, you pick up on little things that kids are communicating to you because their their kids are open. They will tell you all kinds of things about themselves. And that would be my biggest piece of advice is reach out early with something very positive um, and something very specific. And I don't mean a broiler plate email of, it is so nice to have your child in my class this year, because that's not seeing that child. Um, reach out individually. It takes time, but it's really worth it. So that when I call Max's mom later, I call Soraya's mom later, uh, or dad later, and say, you know, Soraya had uh, struggled on her quiz, uh, or whatever it is I need to say that may not be a glowing review, they know that I know their child, and they know that I'm in their child's corner. And that, that I would say that is um, also advice for early administrators, too. Um, I talk about in the book, uh, we took, uh, I don't know, 55 seventh graders to Washington, D.C. And, you know, no field trip is perfect, right? Um, I think we had <laughs> no. one, one restaurant, like the food was terrible and our vegetarian kids had nothing to eat. Uh, you know, the plane was delayed, yada, yada, yada. We got all kinds of things going on, right? And um, so I sat down on the day we got back as an administrator, I, the day we got back from the trip, I wrote a personalized email to every single family of the children that were on that trip, all 55, and said something great about their kid on that trip. Because one, the, the parents were nervous to send their little seventh grader off on a trip um, on an airplane to you know many states away to Washington, D.C., um, they probably will hear from their tired, hungry child, you know, about what rained so much. I was cold. I didn't have enough to eat at that one restaurant. The plane was delayed. They'll hear these things, right? Because kids will be kids. But I wanted right. to paint a different picture um, for the parents to tell them, your child asked so many great questions when we were at Mount Vernon. Or um, your child was so helpful to another kid who was struggling with their luggage in the airport because all those things happened. And um, I purposely wanted to reach out and say, this, this is the other side of what happened on this trip. And I got so many nice replies from that. Um, it, took, it took a few hours. It took a dedication to write that. But I got so many replies of like, my child, yeah, did complain about the rain, but you know what? She had so much fun on this trip and she learned so much. And just that positive reach out is so important from administrators and for teachers both. Well, and I think, you know, you're hitting on a couple of different pieces there, uh, something I'm going to come back to in just a second. But, you know, first and foremost, you're talking about controlling the narrative. Mm -hmm. And I, I think this is something that in education we struggle with sometimes. And it doesn't have to just necessarily be, you know, the school leaders, you know, putting great things that are happening in the school on social media. Yes, you need to do that. Mm -hmm. But even just something as simple as, hey, I'm going to send you know, an email to each of these parents, just let them know, you know, hey, I noticed this with your kid, I noticed this with your kid, you know, your kid did this, that kind of thing. In essence, you're controlling the narrative before before it just gets to the negative things. Because I mean, mm -hmm. right, right now, unfortunately, in society, that's, that's what we default to is, you know, what were the things that went wrong? And who can I can now complain about this too. So by you doing that, I think that just, it just really emphasizes the importance of controlling the narrative. I, I, I want to, I'll still come back to what I'm thinking about in, in just a minute, but I want to ask real quick as the eighth grade lead, 
Is that something that you are pushing with the rest of your eighth grade team at your school around kind of controlling that narrative? Yes. I mean, yes. We, we want to model that also for the teachers as administrators. You know, we, um, when I mean model it, I will reach out to some of my team members and say, hey, I noticed this really great thing that you're doing with your class, or I noticed this really great thing you're doing with a kid, or after a parent conference, you know, that, that I might be a part of, I'll say, I really loved how you worded that. I loved how you connected with that parent, because it's so important that we model, we as school leaders model for our team, this is how you make people feel seen. And I'm not doing it just to model. I mean, I really want that teacher to know what you're doing in your classroom is amazing. It's so creative. I think it's cool. And, and also, you can do this with your kids too, right? So we can model what we want to see with the parents and the students in our school. Um, so that, that's what I do as an eighth grade coordinator as well, like I did when I was assistant head of middle school, is teachers need to be seen as well, just as the students need to be seen. We will return to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast in just a moment. But first, let me ask you a question. Have you ever said to yourself, man, I should write a book? Well, if you have, then let me ask you another question. What's holding you back? What keeps you from taking the step that moves you from, I have an idea about a book, to I am a published author? From experience, I would bet it's probably you're wondering who would even want to read a book that I wrote. Maybe you're questioning the idea. Is it unique enough? Is it valid enough? Is it good enough? to be a book worthy of having published. Hey, as a best-selling author myself, I can tell you most writers have had the exact same feelings at some point in time during their writing journey. Here at Road to Awesome, we believe in cultivating leaders by elevating voices and promoting positivity. And a part of that work is publishing books for educators by educators. Go to roadtoawesome.net and hit the Contact Us button to set up a free, no-obligation conversation about your book idea. Hey, educators, we've all had incredible experiences. We all have amazing stories, and every one of them deserves to be told. Go to roadtoawesome.net, hit the Contact Us button. Let's have that conversation about your book idea. And now, back to the Leaning into Leadership podcast. So what, what I wanted to ask you about, uh, so let's, let's go there now. Let's just say you didn't send those emails. And as a result, you get a few complaints. And maybe those are complaints that would come to you, or maybe those are complaints that would go to your administrator, your head of school. Mm-hmm. What are some things that, that you share with, with educators on how you communicate when it's not so easy? When, when it is dealing with a complaint or, or something that didn't go well, or even, let's be honest, you know what, we're the adults, we make mistakes sometimes. What, what are some mm-hmm. tips that you give people to communicate in those difficult situations? Darren, it's almost like you just read the table of contents of my book, <laughs> because I've got a chapter <laughs> well, on I have. The, uh, <laughs> it's almost like you just read it. Uh, the 10%, uh, the difficult 10%. 
Uh, I think almost, you know, in any population, you're going to have the 90% that are super easy to work with, and you've got the 10% that are pretty tough. I have a chapter on hard conversations because you're going to have hard conversations. You're talking about human beings, and sometimes things get sensitive and get tough. Um, and then I also have a chapter on how do we prepare? Like, how do we get ready and, and learn how to do this? Um, so there's a chapter on all of those things you just asked about. And um, yeah. when the complaints do come in, and they will come in, um, I have a couple of tactics that I do. Um, one of them is if I get an email that has a sense of snark or um, not very nice tone, because it's difficult to read tone um, in an email, um, I will reply back with, do you think we could have a phone conversation about this? When's a good time for me to call? Or I'll tell them, these are the times I'm free today, because um, that puts me in the driver's seat. I'll say, I'm free between 3 and 3.30 today. Uh, would that work? Um, because when you can get someone on the phone, uh, you can be a better listener. Uh, you can de-escalate very quickly if they're upset about something. And often when a parent is upset, you know, the 10% the that are difficult, it's often has nothing to do with you and it's nothing to do with school. They might have a lot going on um, at work or at home or both. Um, so it's important to listen to the conversation. Face-to-face -face is better than phone, but if that's not possible, ask to have a phone conversation. So what's interesting is I, I put this on Twitter. I, I uh, put it out there about a, my strategy of, you know, when you get an email that's complaining nature, ask to make, have a phone call. And someone replied with a really valid point I want everything in writing. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Right. Um, because we have, we have a litigious society, right? And we want to put things in writing. I still will make the phone call because that will help that person deescalate their anger if they're angry or if they're anxious. But then I will reply with an email later saying, thank you so much for talking with me today. We discussed boom, 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 bullet points. And then I have in writing what we discussed and I summarized what we said. Um, so it's kind of the best of both worlds that we have the email, but it's not the email back and forth where the communication and the tone gets all messy. Um, but the phone call is going to be so much better. And I also find that phone calls are shorter. Um, if I sit there and agonize over an email for 30 minutes, I could have just called that parents <laughs> twice, right? right? So um, I, I just, I'm a big fan of picking up the phone. And I know that so many teachers are not, they are not big fans of picking up the phone. It makes them nervous. Um, I don't even know if like my daughter's generation, if they even know how to make a phone call because they're just always texting and Snapchatting yeah. and all these things. But it's so important when a parent is talking about the most important thing in their life, which is their child, to have a voice that is compassionate, empathetic on the other end of the line. I think that is, that is the most important part. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're just listening to you talk, you know, kind of took me back to sometimes, especially as a principal, when, you know, you might get that, that email that comes in hot. And, yeah. you know, I would start, I would start the reply. And, and so here, I'm going to, I'm going to drop a, a tip for, for school leaders too, or for teachers for that matter. You get that email that comes in a little hot and you start writing your reply. The first thing you should do is delete the who it goes to as you're starting to write your reply. Um, you know, you, you can vent as you're writing that draft of the email. Just make sure it's not available to be sent to anybody and then obviously go back and clean it. Um, I would do that a lot from the email perspective where, you know, I would write a reply and leave it reduced for a period of time so I could really craft that email in, in a way that, 
I could make sure my tone was appropriate. Um, I could work through the like the anger or whatever that that I might have. But you're right. You know, if if we just simply pick up the phone and have those conversations, so often, you know, I remember a couple of situations where I did exactly what I just described, and then when I got on the phone with the person the tone of the email and their tone were two completely different things. Mm -hmm. It's difficult, like you said, for us to read tone in an email. Um, It's just really, really difficult. So um, I appreciate that. I think that's, that's a really important piece. And, and, you know, I don't know why I I wish I knew the answer, but you're right. So many educators are just, they're just afraid to pick up the phone and talk to parents and, you know, you, you make a really good point. If, if we can just do that with a compassionate voice be willing to listen. Um, I love I love your your idea around uh, how you document that because it is critical. And and I honestly would do something pretty similar. Um, I think yours even more more thorough with not just hey thanks for having the conversation with me, but boom bullet point outline exactly what you talked about, and then you've got that documentation. So let's let's flip it in a little bit different direction. Um, through the course of the book, you have a handful of stories that are just. They're priceless. And, you know, so whether you want to share those or, or maybe just some of your own, I've, I've got a couple in my head. So let's let's just kind of go back and forth a little bit here, a little bit of rapid fire. Like one of the funniest parent communications you've ever had. <laughs> I, have, I have so many strange ones. Um, and I just have to chalk it up to like, wow, that was weird. Okay. Yeah. Um, I... <laughs> I don't think I put these in the book. I'm thinking of some. Um, I teach, uh, as I mentioned before, I teach kids from several different cultures. And uh, pre-pandemic, I would have you know face-to-face parent conferences where the parents would come right in and give me kisses on the cheeks um, because that is uh, their culture when you greet somebody. And um, I am from an American culture where you don't kiss somebody on the cheeks in a professional setting. <laughs> so that would be one that would just <laughs> right. be okay, all right, we're doing yeah. that. Um, because uh, <laughs> if you're from uh, a Latin country, you're going to do uh, typically one kiss. And then if you're from uh, France, you do two. And then some parts of France are three. So it's like, you know, and I, I work with... Um, I work with international teachers too, so I've learned which ones are going to come in for the kiss on the cheek and which ones aren't. So I'm so I'm ready, right? Um, I ha- that hasn't yeah. happened since the pandemic. I think people are a little more like let's not get in each other's faces. Sure. Um, right. I have had uh, a parent tell me in a very sweet way, um, "You are prettier than I thought." I don't know what that meant. Um, <laughs> you, <laughs> I was like, "Great!" I don't know what you thought, but all right. Um, I thought you would be older. Uh, I guess it was based off your last name. And I'm like, mm, I know a lot of Fromerts of all different ages. I have no idea how that uh, has anything any bearing <laughs> on my age. Um, I had one parent say, and I think she thought it was a compliment. She said, well, if I were to rate you, I would say eight out of 10 as a teacher. And I'm like thinking in my head, I didn't ask you to rate me. And I, you know, that <laughs> was very random. And I don't know why I got that. Um, I just had yeah. some very interesting comments that were made to me, and I think they were all well intentioned. Um, there have also been some not so fun, uh, not so funny, and not so fun interactions too yeah. that I talk about in the book because you're just going to get the whole uh, range. My, I think I mentioned my, I know I mentioned actually in the book my favorite 
interaction with a parent. It was the most kind uh, gesture I think I've ever received. Um, it because I started writing the book, you know, right around when the pandemic was going on, and you couldn't really go to the grocery store. Um, at least in our area, you had to wait in a line, and only a certain amount of people were available in the grocery store. Anyway, she said, you spend all your day teaching my son online. May I please go grocery shopping for you? And that was the nicest gesture. I thought, wow. I mean, because that was back then going to the grocery store was a huge feat. And um, that was just so kind. I I turned it down um, because I didn't want to get put myself in a close relationship like that. But it was so kind that she saw what we as teachers were doing and wanted to help out in some way that she could. Um, so I've had a all across a range, a huge range of yeah. not so great parent interactions and really hilarious parent interactions. Yeah. I got an email once from a from a parent that was just this. I mean, it was just scathing and it didn't make any sense to me. I mean, it was just like all of these accusations about this and that. And I'm like, what in the world is this person talking about? And I just picked up the phone and called her and she's like, Darren, what are you talking about? And I'm like, this email that you sent me. And she went, oh my gosh, it wasn't meant for me. She was sending it to someone else, but somehow (laughs) it ended up coming to me and She's like, oh, my gosh, I am so embarrassed. And, you know, I just, I mean, I had to laugh. But, in the like, for that first minute and a half, my blood is boiling. And I'm like, what did I do to this lady? I mean, holy right. cow, I thought we had a pretty good relationship. And I'm just getting just scathed in this email. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And, yeah, yeah, she was just, she was just mortified. I know that the next time I saw her in person, she just... She just came up and was like, I can't, I can't even put it into words how sorry I am about that. But, you know, always check twice before yeah. before you send an email, right? Yeah. Imagine you had sat there at your desk and crafted, uh, you know, spent 30 minutes crafting a reply to that, you know? So you did the right thing yeah. by picking up the phone saying, hey, can we talk about that? And that yeah. really opens the door for I'm here to listen to you. But okay. um you know, think about if, if you had not picked up the phone, then you would not have been a listening ear for what was going on. And, you know, and I also mentioned in the book, too, that, I mean, obviously this mom who emailed you the long rant, she had something else going on uh, that had nothing to do with school. And I think that sometimes parents, they do just want to talk. They, they have so much going on. Um, they're worried for their child naturally. I mean, teenagers, I teach, I teach kids who are tweens to teens. And they are just bizarre human beings sometimes. And they do weird things (laughs) and they're hard to understand. And parents just want to talk to you and say, I just don't understand what to do. I'm, I'm, you know, at wit's end. Um, And just being that ear to listen to them goes miles with the relationship, I think. And that's what you did when you called her. Well, and I think, you know, you just hit the key thing right there, which is relationship. You know, in, in this individual's case, I'd known her for years and never had seen anything like this and knew I could just pick up the phone. And and if she was genuinely angry with me, she would have told me. And, and that's mm-hmm. fine. I mean, we could talk through that. But uh, yeah, that one just was like, whoa. And, and yeah, I, mean, I could I could see myself, you know, taking that one and like doing the, the two day, you know, crafting the reply to find out that, you know, that wasn't even meant for you, you know, oops, sorry about that. So right. yeah, I, I think I think the key uh, with with parent communication, I mean, with, with communication within our staff, I mean, all those types of things always comes back to that relationship building piece. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more 
the more that we invest in that. And that's why, you know, your point of start with a positive communication early um, is just so important because it does establish that relationship. You talk about it through the book quite frequently with working with parents is about being in a partnership. And you can't have that if you're not able to create some type of a, a positive relationship from the beginning. Right, right. And then another piece, too, about that partnership is is vulnerability. And, um, you know, at first when I started teaching, I was terrified to be vulnerable. I thought I'm expected to be the expert. I am paid to do this. And I'm, you know, um, and I didn't know yet. I was too green to know that vulnerability is key to building a relationship, to calling a parent and saying, you know, I would love your help with this. You know, I'm not really sure how to help Joey. Um, you know, can we, can we work together on this? Because you're showing the parent, like, I don't know something and that is okay because parents don't know everything. And certainly Joey doesn't know everything and we're going to work together and we're going to do this for Joey and his learning. And, and that vulnerability is just, it's something you have to learn over time. But I hope someone reading the book, if they're early in their career, will read this and think, yeah, it's okay for me to say, I don't know. It's okay for, for me to say, I need help to go to my administrator and say, I am really nervous to talk to, to these parents. Would you sit with me? And that is perfectly fine to do no matter where you are in your career. That, that's, that's what I would hope someone takes away from the book. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So let's, uh, let's jump to the final question here on the podcast. The same question I ask everybody. Um, this is the Leading Into Leadership podcast. So, Crystal, how are you leaning into leadership right now? You know, I love, um, I love the idea of that anyone, no matter what your title is, can be a leader. Um, if you are, I mean, I have a leadership role in addition to being a teacher, but there are teachers here who are classroom teachers, and that is their only title, but they step up in so many ways to be leaders in, in their in their area, or they will become leaders in something out of their area as well. Maybe they're leading a field trip. They're, we do a lot of trips at our school as an international school. Maybe they're stepping up to be a trip lead. Um, maybe they're, they're leading a committee um, or they're volunteering for a committee so they can learn that leadership part of the school. And I think that leaders, I, I've had, um, I've been very blessed to work with leaders who encourage teachers to be leaders. And that's where that's why I am the teacher I am today, because of the people that I've worked for and currently work for, that they will come to me and say, I remember, you know, specifically a, a principal coming to me and saying, I would love for you to be on this committee. I think you would learn a lot from this. I want you to put yourself out there. And that's how you lean into leadership by lifting others up um, if you already are a leader or if you're not yet, you know, a leader. And I put in air quotes because that's not on your resume yet or it's not in, on your name badge but you can be a leader in your school or in your community. Uh, you could volunteer with something in your community. You could you know, be on a school board for a small school somewhere that you don't teach. There's so many opportunities that you can step out of that role as classroom teacher and, and still be a classroom teacher, but a leader. And at the same time, teachers can also encourage that of their students. Um, you know, I have a, a couple of students who are complaining about if you can believe this, kids were complaining about dress code. Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> no, never. No. What? Oh, <laughs> dress code? That's new to me. Um, so kids were complaining about dress code. And instead of me saying, hey, you know, I'll let me let me talk to someone about that because you have a valid point. I said, I want you to take to write up a proposal and bring that to the dean of middle school. 
So that's how you lead into leadership by lifting others up and saying, I want you guys to take care of this. And you know what they did? They wrote a proposal. They brought it to the dean. I don't know where that is right now, but they did it. <laughs> and I don't, right. I don't know if they got what they wanted. But I, I hope that as they grow up into the rest of their middle school years, into their high school years, into college and beyond, that they will realize, you know, if I have a problem with something, I'm going to take a leadership role in that and I'm going to go through the proper channels and write a proposal or whatever it is you need to do. And, and that, I hope that answers your question of, of how we can all lean, lean into leadership. Of course. Yeah. So um, how do people who want to get in touch with Crystal Frommert do so? Um, the I'm pretty active on Twitter. So if you go to um, at Mrs. underscore Frommert, so that's F-R-O-M-M-E-R-T, um, and you search up, you could probably just search up Mrs. Frommert as well. I tweet um, some of my articles that I write. Um, I write for Edutopia often. And write for other, you know, other outlets like uh, just just added Heinemann to the list. So, um, you know, you can reach out there and see what I'm writing about. Engage with me there. I'm also on LinkedIn, and you can also find more information about the book on those those two locations too. I post what's going on with the book and when it's coming out. And I really hope that you check it out, buy the book, share it with your colleagues, buy the book for your colleagues. Um, if you are a college professor. I think you would, in the, in the College of Education, that is, I think that you would love for this book to be a part of your classroom management courses. Um, so if you are a brand new teacher or if you're a college professor or any teacher, any part of your career, check out this book. Cool. And just, just one last time, the title of the book is? When Calling Parents Isn't Your Calling. Looking forward to it. So we will have all of this stuff linked in the show notes, folks. I'll, I'll have uh, the opportunity for you to go and click on some of the different articles that Crystal has written. Obviously, a link for you to go and grab a copy of the book and obviously to get connected with Crystal. Crystal, thank you so much for joining me here on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Thank you, Darren. It's really fun to talk about all of this stuff with you. Absolutely. I appreciate Crystal coming on the podcast and a quick update for you. Since the time that she and I recorded this episode, her book has gone live. It's actually been a number one new release in multiple categories. You can grab it on Amazon and we've got the link for you to grab it right there in the show notes. So make sure that you do that. And now it's time for your pep talk. Today, I'm thinking about teacher retention. You know, we talk so much and hear so much about a teacher shortage. Well, one of the most important things that we can do to address this is to keep the teachers that we have. And I want to share with you today just one simple thing that I think goes a long way in retaining quality teachers in the classroom. And that is as leaders demonstrating that you trust them. Remember, they're professionals. They take a lot of pride in their craft. They take a lot of pride in the work that they do. They pour a lot of themselves into what they do. And we need to trust them and we need to tell them that we trust them. Remember, one of the highest forms of trust out there is when a parent drops their kid off at the school, at the bus stop, or watches them walk or drive off to school, trusting us as educators with their kid. As leaders, we have to trust our teachers as well. Let them know you trust them. Tell them that you trust them. And then demonstrate it. That's your pep talk for this week. Thank you for joining me on Leaning Into Leadership. Get out there. Have a road to awesome day. 
Thank you for listening to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.